Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. This is episode 197. How are you all doing, guys? Thank you for tuning in. I've got two great guests this week. Last week, in fact, the, this week's podcast was recorded on the same day as last week's podcast. Um, and last week's was particularly popular. We've had a lot of feedback. Uh, we did top five songs that make you cry with Chris and Stu of the Hardcore Listing Podcast. If you haven't checked that out, go and check it out and then check out the Hardcore Listing Podcast. But yeah, it was a particularly popular one and you've been flooding our timelines with your top five songs that make you cry and with annoyance at the fact that we were in tears throughout the podcast, putting a lot of you in tears. So sorry about that. But this week's guests are amazing. It's Alan Hughes and Jimmy Iovine. And these are two of the people I've been most excited to talk about. Um, as a lot of you will know, I turn down a lot of press junket type runs because you normally get five or ten minutes um, and I normally need an hour. But with this one, they put forward the idea to have half hour with each of these guys and they're, they're icons, man. <laughs> um, their documentary, The Defiant Ones, is on Netflix now and it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. You'll hear in the first part, I've put them all in this podcast, but it's two parts in one podcast you'll hear as i'm talking to to, to alan hughes that i was blown away by the the direction of the documentary the way it was put together the way it looked the way it sounded the way it emoted all the all the stories told so yeah it was great and then in in the in the next part i talked to jimmy Iovine, which is all again you don't need to download two things i've put them all here together in the next part was jimmy Iovine, and if you don't know Jimmy, as you'll see in the documentary, The Defiant Ones on Netflix, Jimmy, um, in unusual circumstances, ended up working on a John Lennon record. And then he worked on Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, and Patti Smith, um, Easter, and Tom Petty albums and singles, and all sorts of craziness. And then he started a little record label which also spawned death row records um and he signed dre and snoop and tupac and he signed nine inch nails and marilyn manson and no doubt and just so many people lady gaga all sorts of stuff and then he started beats with dre so yeah he's got a hell of a story and he's a hell of an experience speaking of record labels this podcast is brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's my record label. I've not got Snoop and Dre and Tupac, but I have got Sage Francis and B. Dolan and POS and, and, and War and Peace and Giacomo Brown and my good self, Scroobius Pip and Polar Bear and Rob Alton and loads of amazing people. Have I left anyone off? I hope I've not left anyone off. And also a load of merch, a load of podcast merch, so yeah, head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com to do that and support the podcast. There's loads of good stuff over there. But equally, as said, go and watch The Defiant Ones on Netflix. That's free. That's literally there if you've got your Netflix subscription. And it's fantastic. It really is. I got a preview link to watch them all. And I sat there just open-jawed, amazed at the lives. It's about Jimmy Iovine and Dre and their parallel lives and how it came together. But yeah, it's amazing. So, first of all now, I'm going to let you hear me chat with Alan Hughes. And as you'll hear, I was quite excited. He's someone that I really rate as a director. He did Menace to Society, man, him and his brother. And and, and Menace is one of my favourite films. He did Dead Presidents and From Hell and loads of stuff that I really rate. So, it was exciting to talk to Alan. I was pleased. I like it when we do these press junkets because... The reason I don't often do them is, as said, you get these 10-minute slots and I kind of prefer to get really in-depth on things and nerd out and be excited. As anyone who listens will know, I get excited on these podcasts and that often doesn't quite fit into a press junket. But what I found particularly with Alan was that um, it's it's nice for for those guys as well sometimes because they're often talking to... 20 journalists some of them have watched the thing some of them haven't they've got 10 minutes so they're not really going in depth on anything 
And me and Alan really hit it off. Um, yeah, I'll let you hear that and then I'll pop back in a minute. Enjoy. Alan Hughes. to meet you. Let me get some water. Some water. Take some water. That's, that's <laughs> the word that, that people never understand me saying in America. <laughs> particularly from Essex. A water. A water. What? Like, what? Yeah, I did a Jack the Ripper film years ago and I had some uh, fun, a fun British cast and they were, they were dummy down. Oh, 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 Johnny Depp loves nothing more than an exaggerated British yeah, accent, mine. right? Yeah, so, it's, so it's perfect. Perfect. Oh wow! Look at this. Uh, did Jimmy already come in, or am I first? You're first. Okay, You're leading I'm a, the. I'm his. I'm his fluffer today. Yeah, that's that's, that's perfect. Um, so I should shut up on this microphone. Yeah, it's all good. Or oh, whatever's uh, comfortable, man. I've got them kind of. They're they're all they're I'm all recording like decent now. Tipping now like this. That's how it's got to be. I like. I do these. <laughs> I've started recording in the traditional podcast manner of it just being casual, loose and free. I, was, I, I had someone. Uh, Wait, how long is this? This it's thirty minutes. For 30 minutes? Yeah, yeah, Oh, great. Yeah, it's great to relax then. Yeah, I had someone t- tweet me the other day about m- my interviews, and I had to explain I don't do interviews, I have conversations. So that's what we're here to do. It's not, it's not this formal thing. It's just us having a chat. So. You know what? That was the magic of, of this film for me, is that yeah. people were like, how did you interview? I'm like, and I just learned it when I was done, when I was finished with the film. I go, man, the best interviews were conversations yeah and 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 you've got people who aren't going to be afraid to talk either obviously i should i should say i'm here with alan hughes and we're here to talk about the amazing uh, the defiant ones uh, a documentary series i absolutely loved and yeah exactly that when you've got snoop again (laughs) anyone who who follows him on social media knows he doesn't need another person to have a conversation he can do that himself (laughs) so then when you've you've got springsteen you've got tom petty all these people have got these amazing stories i think the greatest realization and it's it's something that struck me hugely in your style of documentary making was to remove yourself from it completely yeah i mean just just really sit back and then where you put yourself into it was the way it played out, because it played out like, it, it, it's going to sound odd, but, but it felt like a DJ playing a set in a club. 100%. It, it, it had mixed yeah. from rock to rap mm-hmm. seamlessly. And, and even if it's interviews, you'd have the ramping up of the set and the drop off of the mm-hmm. set and things like that. And I'd not seen that in a documentary particularly before, that it felt like a DJ rather They're than a Very keen, a because it, it, absolutely the one, there's a, I was naive about a lot of things going into the film. Yeah. But the one thing I said to myself, I go, I'm going to make this the way Dre used to make records. Yeah. The way Dr. Dre used to make those early NWA records, he, he approached it like a DJ. Yeah. And a lot of those early records that he made, there were like, um, so obviously there's the verses and the hooks, but then he would have that bridge yeah. into a whole other subset of the song I yeah. can't even describe. Yeah. And... um. And I took a cue from that, and, and record producers, Jimmy being a record producer, but more hip-hop, because hip-hop adopts and swallows up everything in its path, you yeah. know, genres. So I knew that going in. Yeah. I didn't know it would be effective, though. Yeah. I had no idea. It worked, man. Yeah. So, I mean, as we've got half an hour, I'm, I'm excited to, obviously, we're, we're going to talk a lot, a, a lot about the Defiant Ones, but I can rewind a little bit and go <laughs> into things. So, born in Detroit and then growing up in LA, mm-hmm. directing f- films, that's not a path that's often openly pushed as a viable option. So so, so where did you and, and your brother obviously kind of get that motivation and decide that that's what you wanted to do? What, what <laughs> d- d- drove you in that? In the Midwest, in Detroit, when you come up, you, you know, Hollywood has this little lure that's even greater than when you're from, obviously, yeah. somewhere closer to it, or New York or Chicago. Um, Chicago is more like, it is the Midwest, so what am I talking about? Yeah, yeah. But Chicago is a big city. Yeah, of course. A big media city. So Detroit... At the time, was disintegrating and decomposing. Yeah, and the West always had this allure, you know, and the music was out there. So we were twins, and we were always we always thought we were going to be in front of the camera, right? But these noses and 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 our lack of talent in front of the camera. <laughs> but we moved out west, thinking that we would be 
in commercials and film and I don't How know. was it to get out there and see? Because the thing that I had when I the, the first time, because I used to do a, a music, and the first time I toured America and hit LA, and it was hip hop, and uh, I kind of get out there, and I'm like, this place is a shithole, and mm-hmm. I, I I didn't like mm-hmm. that at first. It, t- it took a few visits to make me realize, hang on, I come from shitholes. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. most comfortable in shitholes. So <laughs> as soon as I dropped that perception of Hollywood yeah, yeah. being this shiny thing, I was like. The, the the roughness of it was what I loved about LA, yeah. and and that was the beauty of it. So yeah. coming from somewhere like Detroit, which it's not for me to describe as a shithole at the time, but it was Total known as a rough, hole. rundown area, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so to get to LA and it not be this sh- sh- shiny mm-hmm. Hollywood was that kind of motivational in a way to go, all oh, right, this this mecca is just what I'm familiar with. It's just I wasn't here. We were looking That's at it from across the country. It's interesting. I learned that later. Yeah. Um, um, not when we got there, because we were outside of LA. But you're you're absolutely right that it that it, it it's pretty. It could be pretty shitty. Yeah. You know. Um, I think once we got to Los Angeles County. Yeah. Um, it was close there. The dream. You know. Yeah. And as kids, we were making. You know, it was the advent of the home video camera and uh, home video stores and. Yeah. And we just started, most kids, if they had gotten their hands on a video camera, they were making skate videos or BMX bike yeah, videos yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Or sh- stupid shit like jumping off roofs into a swimming pool. Whatever yeah, the hell yeah. it was. And uh, we just started making movies from moment one. Amazing. Not because, because we came here with that dream. Yeah. You know, um, we came here. We came to uh, Los Angeles with that dream. But you don't know, like, I think the interesting thing about being... In a major media market, yeah, is you get major media market competition, right? Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, in yeah. high school, yeah, you know, so people's aspirations are more intense, yeah, when when they're close to it, and so that started forging us like a diamond, you know, because yeah, it's it just, raises you, oh, your level. Man. If everyone else around you is at a level, you're like, oh well, shit, we came in to be the best. We got a- hell yeah, yeah. And they have public access of. of uh, cable at the time as right. well. Uh, that that came on the scene when I was in high school. Yeah. So I had five shows on public access at the same time. I had a talk show. I had a variety show. I had oh, wow. a feature I would do every week. And so the public is seeing it. Again, you're right in a major media market. So your stuff is on a, on public access, but it's right next to all the major stuff as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So so in 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 the documentary it. it, it, it Obviously, it goes through the time of NWA and things like that. Um, I, I, when I was touring a lot, I'd get back and there was a, a, a cinema in London uh, called the Prince Charles Cinema. And it's one of the oldest cinemas. And they allowed me to program a series of, of, of films over a, a number of months. And I chose films I'd, I'd fallen in love with on DVD or video, hmm. but not seen in the cinema. And one of the things I screened uh, was A Menace to Society because... It was just a film that I adored and loved, and watching it on the big screen, it's that weird thing of when I was programming these things, I was like, a few of these films I've not watched in a while, are they they, they going to have aged? <laughs> and it hadn't at all. It felt like it could come out, you know, a year ago. And so how was wow. that as kind of... In the film, you, you, you have, obviously, in, in 91, there was the Rodney King beating that, that kind of spawned nwa mm-hmm. and then 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 the la riots but only a few years later you and your brother were documenting that in in menace to society mm-hmm. and telling these stories so mm-hmm. so what drove you to know that that was the story that you had to tell and 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 the style that that you were going to come out with yeah uh well in the 80s first off um all that stuff was going down in the inner cities with the black youth yeah as far as gang violence and crack yeah was at an all-time high in 88 when I was in high school. And it was spilling over into the suburbs as far as police and the way police were policing. Yeah. And so we were interested in going with Menace, like, how did that kid get that way? The yeah. kid you see on Cops or the kid you see in the news running from the helicopter. Completely. How did? How, what's his story, you know? Yeah. So we had developed a story early on when in high school. And then this language we started learning, this lexicon of, like, real film. And how you how you how you approach shooting real film. I brought yeah. a lot of that to the Defiant ones as well. Yeah. You know, the thing I loved about The Godfather, people you can't talk about The Godfather enough to me because Francis uh, Francis's approach to it was classic. 
Yeah. So it stands the test of time. The yeah. way it was framed, it was no zooms that were heavy in the 70s in that film. The production design, the acting, the writing was all timeless. Yeah. So we approached, although Menace has aged in a few other ways, the approach was very um, much from the old school cinema. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what we brought to it because we were we were new to it. We were yeah. new to, to we were fast because in high school we were doing comedic things. Yeah. And then as out of high school in the film school, we learned the power of. Which got your hands on Super Eight and sixteen millimeter. Yeah. Oh, this is serious. We get to do it. Properly. Actually, it's easier to do drama than it is comedy. Yeah. I think a lot of people know that. So um, that stuff was going on at the time in the culture and the communities, the black communities, and what wasn't going on in, in black cinema at that time was bringing cinema to it. Yeah. You know that visceral nature. Hundred um, percent. And you know, I know we've over the years had some words about Boys in the Hood. And, uh, but ultimately, it's like that was more. Uh, I, I just thought we could do better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one. Talk some shit now. No, no, that's it. Because we there's there's so much talk now, and rightfully so, of this re, um, resurgence of black cinema with Moonlight, with Black Panther. Yet, growing up, it, for me, it was about menace, boys mm. in the hood, do the right thing, mm-hmm. all these great films, and it's weird. That there was this gap because again it's similar with the resurgence like with people talking of Wonder Woman of being a yeah. powerful thing about uh, women at that same time in the 80s and the late 80s and 90s there was a, a Ridley Scott doing Alien with powerful women and Terminator with powerful uh, uh, female leads so James Cameron always had yeah. powerful female leads yeah films, it's just yeah. strange how there was suddenly all the things that are being praised now it's like well that was happening in the 80s and 90s and then it just stopped stop for some mm-hmm. reason so it's kind of a weird thing, right? The cinema took that dip and mm-hmm. has come has come back round. But is it exciting for you to see this return of, of as I said, black cinema that's got the drama, that's got the cinema in it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very exciting because it's so, so disparate. The like you say, moon, Moonlight. Yeah. You know, to Black Panther, they couldn't be more different. Completely. Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. You know, to whatever wrinkle in time. Yeah. I think it's important though because the knee jerk is. From the Oscar so white thing of a couple of years ago, is yeah. right, everyone gets political. We gotta make black. We gotta make, let's make sure that these motherfuckers have their films, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at first, it's the the quality isn't there in every film. Um, yeah, a lot of the films do have quality, but I think the competition now that's what black cinema has to start focusing on is let's let's make each other better. Let's not just yeah, be here because it. of politics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. It's, 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 it, there's something that I've, I've brought up too many times on this podcast, but I think it's relevant to bring up, up, up with you here. Is it blows my mind that no one's made a great dramatic film about the LA riots. There's, there's some amazing documentaries about it, but the stories in there of what happened with the, 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 the Asian community mm-hmm. and the black community and the police and everything else, it blows That's my mind that no one seems to have told that story yet. And now we're at a point where there are writers and the, the, the directors are like yourself and many others who l- literally lived through that, mm-hmm. but now have the ability to tell these stories. So I'm, I'm hopeful for wow, that's a series, a Netflix series, yeah. or, a, or something. Because yeah. previously it, w- it, w- it would have been, with the greatest respect, sitting here as a white man, it would have been a white person writing what they feel is a fair depiction of what happened to the black community. Would have been Grand Canyon. Yeah. Remember that film? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have been a fable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas now there's there's so many people who are winning <clears throat> Oscars and Grammys and awards who lived through that. And there's such a, like, I've watched, there's, there's great documentaries about it and mm-hmm. books about it, but I think there's, there's a certain thing in drama. And Netflix is changing it, but a few Good years time. back... A certain kind of person had watched a documentary, another kind of person had watched a drama. Now, That's right. Netflix have changed that with Making a Murderer and now The Defiant Ones on there and things like that. But it's still a case, I think, that you can do a certain amount with documentaries and a mm-hmm. different amount with drama. So mm-hmm. w- what gave you your the confidence in making this documentary? Because, damn, it's a hell of a, a subject <laughs> to cover. With yeah. J- Jimmy's life alone, but Dre as well, it's spanning from... Lennon, Springsteen, Patti Smith, all the way up to, or along Mm -hmm. Snoop and Tupac and and Biggie and Dre and Mm -hmm. Beats and everything else. So what, so what, 
what made you think that this was the story to tell? And how did you even get your head round? How you I was arrogant it? enough to think I, I knew what to do. Yeah. You know, I was arrogant enough to think it was, I, I didn't think ultimately the defiant ones that is out and people will be seeing is much greater than what I had in my head, you know? Right. Um, because I didn't know all those stories, especially in the Jimmy side. I didn't know all those stories. Yeah. Stevie Nicks, Tom Petty on top of all those you just mentioned. Yeah. And uh, all the interconnectivity of it to U2 and the start of Interscope and how Jimmy first heard The Chronic for the first time. Jimmy hadn't heard a hip-hop record from beginning to end yeah. before The Chronic. He was yeah. not a hip-hop guy. Yeah. You know. Um, that's what's so, again, that's, there's, so, there's, there's so many mind-blowing bits in there and, and drive first hearing Eminem through Jimmy and that kind of thing. You just, you're watching that like, God damn, this is, this is insane. It's, you know, but you don't know, you know, you go in, you have the, um, you have your little roadmap and along the way, it, there's all these detours that are far more fascinating than what the original plan was. Yeah. And yeah. so the film that people are seeing now, the defiant ones is just me being open yeah. to it, you know, and to your point earlier, Having a conversation, yeah. And I said, "Fucking interview. Let's have a conversation." Yeah, you know, completely. And um, and the people really opened up because they still the subjects. A lot of those people that sat on these rock stars still have a great relationship with Jimmy and Dre. Have a lot of love for them. Yeah, and it made it that much easier. And then my approach, similar to your approach, was to have that conversation. And I hadn't thought about it. Most of these people I'm sitting down with are some of the greatest poets, writers of all time. Completely. So the that conversation just off the charts, the narrative. Yeah. And they're also great listeners, yeah. which is fascinating. You know, yeah. I thought, you know, I mean, Snoop Dogg is one of the greatest listeners I've ever really had ever been around. Yeah. And he just listens and listens and he's always building. Yeah. So then he adds and then you get, you know, it's just incredible because he's yeah. still, he's still, he's just very present. A lot of them are very present. You know? Did you, know or already have, have relationships with a lot of those guys yeah. because again with menace and dead presidents and things like that they were they were key at that time when yeah. rap was was blowing up so i guess yeah. you were part of that, that 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 world of what was being told yeah so, i mean so, go back so did that help at, you look at uh tupac i mean easy he was my first i hate to use the word mentor yeah. very close to easy my brother and i did all of tupac's first music videos and yeah. we're very close to tupac and uh, Snoop, I met at the Minister Society premiere in the bathroom, pissing, you know, and Amazing. he was trying to convince, you know, talk me into putting him into a film. And I was always <laughs> friendly with Snoop. He eventually moved out to to my city, and he was a neighbor. Um, but at the time, you talk about that time yeah. in cinema and in hip hop, where it was all overlapping, and soundtracks are big. Yeah. So when I would go to New York, L.A., the Bay Area, this before South Southern rap got big, you know. Yeah. And I, everyone knew each other. Yeah. You know, I'm 45 years old. Snoop is 45, yeah. 46, you know. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Andre 3000 is 45, 46. Yeah. If Tupac was alive and Biggie, there would be 45. It was all one class yeah, at so, the time, Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, I mean, it, what you were saying earlier about the way The Godfather was shot mm-hmm. jumps out to me as why, even if you didn't, if you, you did or didn't have the confidence, why you would work as a documentary maker. Because... Mm-hmm. The way The Godfather was shot and the way Menace was then shot was it was as if you were documenting a reality. It wasn't about these fast zooms and pans to make it. It it was having the cinematicness, but it was allowing it to move within the frame, allowing it to to play out, Mm -hmm. which if it wasn't for the fact that these are actors saying these lines, that's how documentaries work. You're just... The, the documenting the thing that's going on in, in front of you. So, yeah. did you find as you started making it, you were like, oh, sh- sh- oh sh- sh- shit, I know how to do this. I, I know how this works. You know, I just, I had an epiphany actually re- recently about the process of why Menace worked. Yeah. Because 50% of it was improvised, one. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those guys hadn't acted before, two. And three, to your point, it was. It was one half documentary, just the approach to it. I didn't know that till I got on this thing. Yeah. Even though I yeah. had done a documentary with my brother called American Pimp in ninety nine, it wasn't until I did the Defiant Ones where I went, Oh shit. This is what was so special about Menace. The urgency yeah. and the immediacy and the realness yeah. of doing a documentary. So I can't wait to do my next feature film. Yeah. To 
to bring. That's what I loved about the Defiant Ones is I brought cinema to the documentary medium, which Errol Morris is probably one of the only people that is known for doing that. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite documentaries of all time, obviously Thin Blue Line, but Fog of War I love. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the only people that, and there's others, but I have a different history than him. Yeah. And I said, wow, let me bring all my cinematic tools to this medium and and elevate it. And, yeah. Yeah. And bringing it now, it makes a different impact because yes. when he was bringing it, brings bringing cinematic elements it was amazing but now you watch them back it's dated slightly yeah, because yeah. of some of them elements you're like right. is this a documentary or a, a you know it was, no, it was just a, unsolved a, mysteries yeah exactly <laughs> particularly since the yeah. birth of spoof documentaries yeah. and things like that as well you, you watch a few of them back now and you're like is mm-hmm. this is this legit this is over drama that's right that's what works now is having that that slickness of movement to yeah. to, to draw it all through uh, was it always intended to be a series, or was it a film at any point? Like, uh, yeah, because it's a story that is so big, it only makes sense across. A series, I knew from I guess, day but... one it would be multiple multiple parts, but Jimmy and Dre did not want to overstay their welcome. So right, they thought he was going one part. Alan, it's one part. It was one part for a year and a half. It was oh, killing wow. me. But I always knew it was five. Yeah, and then my executive at HBO, who financed the film. Uh, which is odd, it being on Netflix. I yeah, hear, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Said um, four parts, Alan. Yeah. Ultimately, um, and they were always wonderful creatively. So that's why each one is its own time length. Yeah. Because um, if there were five, I could have even. But what I love about right. it is, and what I loved about working with HBO too. Netflix has the same thing as well. Each episode, and th- I, by the way, let me slap myself. It's not an episode. Each part. Each part, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, making a mur- making a murder murderer was episodes. Yeah, you know, the jinx in the HBO was episodes. Yeah, these were parts. Yeah, and in that, they all each one had its own DNA, like a record too. Yeah, completely. Back to the record D- DJ and the things yeah. like each song had to make the crowd move that way because that's the way the crowd needed to move. Yeah, you know, and I I love that completely, know? and I love that again. I'm glad that. That HBO and Netflix have a good relationship because we don't have HBO over here, so it's kind of nice that we we're getting these things. But I also love that they're aware that TV is changing, mm-hmm. and it's exactly that. And each part should be the length it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to have oh well, it has to be this long, and there has to be a break here because that's what that's that's what like you still see shows that are made for digital that are built with. An advert break type thing. And this it's like, well, no, just tell the story how it needs to be told. Surely yeah, that's the way forward in I this I got to tell you, too, it's, you know, I learned that um, in this thing, when you look at each chapter, too, whether it's about Bruce Springsteen or Easy e or Tom Petty or N.W.A. and then Snoop, each story is a, has its own life. Yeah. Some some can stay longer. Some got to go now because of the way that people are talking, the way they're moving. And I thought I think HBO and Netflix have really innovated that whole style of like you know what, this is what it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And celebrated the filmmakers for doing it. Yeah. I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I I call it like a play. Like when rock stars play for themselves. Yeah. I never played for myself in this. Yeah. I although there were moments that I did some things that were interesting. I I don't think were done before. I always kept the audience in mind. Yeah, that's and, great. And the and the crowd back to the DJ thing. Like, you can't. You got to make sure everyone's moving on that yeah. dance. That's what someone was telling me about Dre. Lonzo Williams. Yeah. Told me uh, Dre's first. Uh, I won't call him a mentor. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Lonzo owned the world class wrecking crew. Yeah. And he saw Dre's talent. Yeah. As a DJ, as a world class DJ, I said, "Well, what makes a world class DJ?" He says, "A world class DJ." looks at the room, and makes sure everyone's moving. Yeah. Even the guy that doesn't want to move, he makes yeah. sure that guy's tapping his foot. Yeah. And he said, Dre knew that. Dre knew how to make everyone move. Yeah. And I was just learning those things and adopting him into the process of the film. You know. And that must have been part of the excitement in making it, because you're going to have, particularly when you're, you knew the people in the rap world, but didn't necessarily know the people in the rock world. So when you started to see these crazy similarities and parallels you're probably getting excited as an audience member and therefore knowing well this is going to excite like i need to show people this and show how 
how similar Springsteen and Dre are. Who would have thought Springsteen and Dre would be so similar? But there's yeah. a point in in the last part, I think it is, where you kind of bring that kind of full circle with a reference that you're like, oh shit, this is the same. This is the same thing. This is the same vision and and sight that's that's that yeah, that, pushed that, these two forward. That, you, you're you're picking up on something that I've never heard anyone really clue into. It is that. The number one thing for me, because of the, it's called the Defiant Ones. Yeah. It's about the black and white of it all. Yeah. And I'm biracial. Yeah. So I'm a product product of both of them. Is how interconnected they are, and celebrating together both genres, both cultures. Yeah. And the contributions that both made and how similar they are. They, they it, listen. When I was sitting down with, with Stevie Nicks, sitting down with Snoop. And Stevie Nicks was the same thing to me. That's they amazing, spoke the same language. Oh, what a sentence that is, right? <laughs> That's fucking amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, but they spoke the same language. They were, it's the same. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. And it was, it, it was uh, um, for me, the most exciting thing to celebrate both cultures together. Yeah. To put rock and hip-hop side by side. That's why the only thing, the only time I brag about the Grammy I won, which I never thought I'd win a Grammy yeah. for this. Yeah. Was that was to me this the uh, validating rock and hip hop yeah side by side yeah r- rather than an odds or conflicting yeah. as, as 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 one and for the Grammy to for the for the for them to recognize that instead of just one there's the documentary about hip hop and there's yeah. the documentary about rock yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. both and yeah. this is about celebrating both you know and there were moments in this too where it was. Incredible to take Marilyn Manson's music and Marilyn Manson, and then have Tupac wilding out to beautiful people. Yeah, and seeing that, that that's the, the same thing. That it felt like I was at a club just watching a master <laughs> DJ. I was like, this, I want to be on my feet for this. This is going there. So, well, that's the that's the the perfect place to end it. I know you've only got a limited amount oh, of time. So thank you very much for, for chatting. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Look at the mix board. You guys don't see the mix board here. I've got it going on right. <laughs> There we go. That was Alan Hughes. Um, confession here. You know the bit on there where he said about Snoop standing at a urinal trying to convince him to put him in, in one of his films? Legit, as soon as this podcast finished, I was like, of course, just so you know, I'm, 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 I'm an actor as well now. Um, I've done two TV series on FX. Um, I've got a film uh, with... 20th Century Fox in the cinemas at the moment. Uh, another film coming out later this year. So, if you ever want to work together, as you can see from our conversation, we've got a similar outlook on film. Um, I'm, I'm a nerd for this thing, and I've just proper I Snoop Dogged it. I took my Snoop Dog moment, and I've got no shame in that. Um, <laughs> but then we quickly, in between, had a quick photo, me, him, and Jimmy, and that was great. Um, so yeah, then I got to sit down with the legend that is Jimmy Iovine, and again, it was a whirlwind after such a kind of calm and related conversation with Alan. I still related hugely with Jimmy, but my list of things I wanted to talk about, as you'll know, I'm a a lot of you know I'm I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I'm a huge Dre fan. I'm a huge Eminem. I didn't even mention Eminem in the intro. There's a bit in the documentary where it's it's as I said it's it's called the Defiant Ones. It's on Netflix, but where Dre and Eminem go into the studio together for the first time, having just met through Jimmy, um, and it's one of the most mind blowing things I've ever seen. So anyway, I talk about this with Jimmy. Let's just get into that conversation. This is Jimmy Iovine on the Distraction Pieces podcast. Let's go. It's an English podcast. Take a seat. English podcast indeed. Distraction I just Pieces. Need a bottle of water. There you go. We'll grab your water. Is that okay, sound Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. But thank you for checking. Did you just do Alan? Yes. We just had a good chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan's great, man. Alan's great. Sling them all together. Have you... I spent a lot of time in the UK the then. Yes, yes, I loved it. Good. I thought it was amazing. It blew, it blew me away. Obviously, I was already aware of, 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 of your work, but not aware of just the intricacy of it all. Are you a music background or TV? I'm music, so music. I've been touring for, 
for, for years. I, I stopped doing music about three years ago, and I've started acting and doing podcasts. Oh, and It's a bit of everything. But I've, I've, I've started rolling. I'm joined by a, a Jimmy Iovine. How's it all going? You enjoying being in the UK? I, I really am. My, my wife, uh, Liberty Ross, is from the UK, from London, and uh, so I really have fun when I come here with her, and she really enjoys it. And and uh, I've been going to a couple of di- dinner with some friends, and you know, London's a great place, man. What's not, not what's not the love? You know, I didn't invent that. Yeah, yeah. How was it being the subject of this of this this documentary series? Because despite all you've achieved, the Oh, despite the regular descriptions of you being an, an, an experience, as much as you, you do come across constantly as quite humble and kind of wanting to be in the background. I liked, again, we'll get into it a bit, but I liked the amount of people that you've produced or, or worked the boards for, yet you were saying in the documentary, producers just are there to facilitate and press play. It's the artists who are doing the magic. Well, I, I look at my whole life like that. I'm always like ready to begin again. Yeah, that's uh, exciting to me. It's like say, okay, I don't know how to do this. Let's begin again. Yeah. And uh, as long as you're willing to do that and be of service, no matter what you're doing, whether it's Beats headphones or Apple Music or uh, recording engineer or record producer or running Interscope Records or starting Interscope Records, as long as you're willing to have the energy to begin again and listen and take input and value that input and not breathe your own exhaust, I think you could do anything. Yeah, and that's what comes across is that that. Ability to add, to have have your clarity of, of vision and add that to what other people are bringing in and That's other right. people are saying, rather than try and shout over anyone or force your view. Just say, look, I see what you're saying, but also, That's exactly right. this might help. That's exactly right. And if you work with great people, if you cast who you work with great yeah. enough, you don't mind losing an argument. Yeah. You know, like, for Completely. example, I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing myself to them, but Paul and John. Yeah. Whoever won the argument, it was going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you get in the business with people, like you don't <laughs> mind losing it, like with Dr. Dre. If I lose an argument to Dr. Dre, I know I'm going to be okay. What he's going to do is not crap. Yeah. We may lose, but it's not crap. I love that. It's and, covering your back. <laughs> and that's what it's about. It's about being in the, in, the, in the business with the right, cast your life correctly, whether it's your marriage, your partner, your friends, just cast your life great. Yeah. And so I was, I, was, I was trying to... And one other thing. My, ahead, father, my father taught me. Yeah. You can, it's a little bit of a trick. Yeah. And that is when the cat is bigger than the shit. Yeah. You keep the cat. <laughs> the minute the shit gets bigger than the cat, you got to think about keeping the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? I love that. That helps. That's beautiful. Um, I, was, I, was, I was looking through as, as someone who grew, who grew up listening to rock and punk and then... I was pretty in love with hip hop, and the music I made for my career was hip hop. I was trying to find the the link between the people you've worked with and teamed up with, from Springsteen to Patti Smith to Dre to Snoop. All these other people. All the things that I'm attracted to are things that are trying to push push the boundaries. Yeah, anarchy, push the buttons, social 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 consciousness, talking about the culture, about society, whether it's. Dre and Snoop reflecting what it was like in the inner city or, you know, or Tupac or, or, or Trent Reznor. You know, I find that I, I'll be frank with you right now. I'm finding that a lot more in actual uh, paintings and drawings because right. like uh, artists like Mark Bradford or, uh, uh, you know, Ligon or, or Edward Shea used to the painting uh, of, of a tattered American flag that is so powerful so, and I'm not finding a lot of that in music. Like I find Kendrick Lamar, I'm like, okay, wow, that's great. Yeah. You know, and, but I'm not finding a lot of lyrics in music that are, that are doing, that are trying to make a difference. Because music does make a difference. And if you get the right lyrical power, power around the right, in the right person with the right songs, you can move things. And so right now I'm finding it mostly in art, which is kind of weird, but, uh, that's what, that's what, that's, that's just the truth. It's interesting. It's finding that, 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 that motivation and drive in any form. And it, it struck me from watching the documentary that your upbringing in Hell's Kitchen, in kind of coming from that working class background, allowed you to connect. It's, it's one of the connections I could see from Springsteen to Dre to all these other people. Yeah. People who are making a music, not because it's a hobby, because they've got something on the side. They're making it against all odds. They, it's very they have simple. to make it. It's, it's got an urgency. Simple. 
they're looking for great, not success. Yeah. There they want success, but what they're really looking for is great. Yeah. You know, Bruce said it best. He said, I didn't want to be rich. I didn't want to be famous. I didn't even want to be happy. I wanted to be great. Yeah. And as long as you're going for great and not buying your own bullshit, you got a chance of going for a very long career and keeping focus. I mean, Springsteen right now, he's on Broadway doing some of the best work he's ever done in his yeah. life in that one-man show. It's incredible. And I think that at 68 years old, he's created something, a completely new uh, uh, vehicle for himself. I went, I watched the show twice. It's awesome. You know, and Dre is, did Compton, and then, then he did, you know, now he's doing this TV show. And it's just, if you stay with the great, yeah. And, and not get not and not get caught up in the in the success and the fame. You could always do things that are great. Yeah, and and do you think your ability or the ability in general to learn on the on the job is key? R- rather than sit back and think, I can't do that. How do I do that? Kind of just jumping in and and early on in in this in the show, it shows the example of 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 Easter Easter Sunday, nineteen seventy three, where you. You went into work when when most people wouldn't to work the boards. Didn't know who you were. No, working I went. For. I went to answer the phones. Oh, you went to answer the phones. They asked me, "Do you want to? I want you to answer the phones today." And I said, "Yeah," but they were messing with me. John and Roy, John Lennon and Roy Sakala. Yeah. Said we, we wanted you to join our session. We just wanted to see if you would come in on Sunday from your yeah. mother's house. Yeah. They were funny guys, so I, I said, "Of course I'll come in. I'm not blowing this. I'm not going to blow an opportunity. I just wanted to be near it." Yeah. I felt if I could be near it and be of service, that something good would happen. Yeah. And that was my intention completely. I ne- it, it, you know, John Landau from uh, Bruce Springsteen's team, who was a producer on Born to Run, taught me the hard way that it wasn't about me. Yeah. The project is not about you. It's about the project. Yeah. And leave your bullshit where it belongs. Yeah. And, uh, and being able to pivot and to be able to take fear and have it push you from behind rather than stand in front of you. We're all fear. I get fear every day. Every, everyone gets fear. Oh, my God, this might not work. Or this is, someone's going to look at me in a funny way. First of all, no one cares. They're watching themselves, especially today. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and it's just about taking that fear and having it push you forward and not to, not to be intimidated by it. Yeah, yeah. So, so how was it? For, for example, like you mentioned, a, a born to run there. It was evident in in again in 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 the show that one of the things that got you through that was your you know determination to just st- 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 stick it out, to work these these long hours, to not go home, to keep pushing through. And that's easy with hindsight because you're working on fucking born to run. Of course, it's but at the oh, time, at the time you're not. That's it. At the time you're just working on a record. So, it's having that drive and dedication. It's easy for people to look back now and go, "Well, I'd do that." But Well, I wanted a, w- would I, you? I, I wanted again, I was of service. I wanted to deliver for John, the band, Bruce. I wanted to deliver for those people. I didn't want to be the one to let them down, and I wanted to learn. And I stayed after those sessions even if I worked 15 hours and just to try to learn more about what I was doing for the next day. Yeah. I did not want to be the person in that room that stopped the train. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that fear of 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 not earning earning your worth, knowing that you can be doing everything you can to not be the weak link. Yeah. And that's push it. Through. That's it, and that's fear. But when I when I took that fear, I said, "Okay, I'm afraid of that, but I'm more afraid of being the weak link." Yeah, I'm not. You know what I mean? So screw it. I'm going to go figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't always figure it out, but I did sometimes. So how was it from that? And I promise I'm not going to go through every point in the documentary. Oh, We've cool, only got man. half an hour. But um, how was it to go from that to taking the lead with someone like Patty Smith, who was uh, just iconic and and legendary and well I, I again those five years 73 to 78 were my college years yeah and i i was very lucky i did three albums with john lennon i did two albums with bruce springsteen and i did one album with patty smith and patty smith asked me to produce her record because she saw me working with bruce and saw my hustle that yeah. was exactly what she yeah, says yeah, in the yeah. documentary you know so uh but when i worked with her I, I had a little bit of confidence, and I started to learn, like, okay, we could do something different. And I was the producer. I wasn't the engineer anymore, so I had to contribute to the actual structure of the record and more than the sound. 
And uh, that was a really exciting experience. And Patty believed in me. Like, I was so honored that Patty believed in me that I wasn't going to fail her. There yeah. was no chance, none, zero, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I don't care. I could, ta- I could take more pain than you, period. End of yeah. story. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if it's true, yeah. but that's what I felt. How was it when you got Patty because, because the, the night f- f- from Bruce Springsteen? Because Easter as an album is a jarring and urgent and, and far from commercial type, type record. Yeah. But then you got this single and that, that's what everyone wants, particularly at that time, the, the big single that leads the album. But this was a big single that was leading them to, you know, a, 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 an album that felt dangerous and threatening and well royal. to me it was because the woman singing those lyrics yeah desire is hunger the fire i breathe love is a banquet on which we feed yeah because a woman singing because the knife belongs to lovers take yeah, me now yeah, baby yeah. here as i am hold me close try to understand those lyrics was so and because the night belongs to lovers was so powerful that i fit i felt it fit with the record i felt the woman doing those lyrics in those days you know it was almost like, you know, the Shangri-Las or something, you know, yeah. like where it was just like, oh, wow, this is this is going to be really exciting. And I knew, yes, we needed an introduction to the album in those days. You know what I mean? You couldn't come out with, uh, you know, 25th Floor first, you yeah. know. And uh, so I just said, Patty, I think you should do this, man. I think this, it reminded me of It's My Life by the Animals. Right, yeah, yeah, it yeah. It didn't yeah, sound yeah. like it, but in my head, it always something always reminds me of something else. So it reminded me of It's My Life. I said, wow, Patty doing a song like this, sounding like the Animals, doing It's My Life is going to fly. Yeah. I just know it is. And again, it added something huge. I think you're completely right that a female singing those vocals made all the difference it, it makes me think of when cindy lauper did a when you were mine which as a prince song yeah. probably would have been an average prince song right cindy lauper singing it it it's amazing same, same thing O'Connor. yeah yeah exactly exactly that that these songs that that could have been way, I, did, lost. I, did, I did it with tom petty later with stevie nicks yeah yeah we just stopped dragging my heart around yeah you know you uh, they want you know you got to be careful. You, they want to make a meal of some bright-eyed kid. You need someone to look after you. At that time, yeah, that was not the thinking. You know what I mean? It was like, and I just said, "Oh man, if she sings these lyrics, they're gonna be incredible." Because I know Stevie is that strong and powerful as a person. I said, "If she sings these lyrics, she would never write them. But if she sings them, yeah, we're gonna win." Yeah, I love that. So. How was it to go to be at that point a decorated and praised producer and technician to then go right? I'm starting a label instead. I'm I'm, I'm stopping. Again, that. I'm done with that. I didn't. I, well, I was thirty. I was thirty six, thirty seven years old, and I wasn't working with my peers anymore. I was working with people much younger than me, and I, I and and the people that were much younger than me, they were looking for. I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I could work with some of them, but. The record companies were trying to keep me away or whatever. I was too expensive or whatever nonsense that is. The record companies wanted to control. They felt if I was in the room, they didn't have control. They were right. Um, But I just said, then my friend David Geffen, who taught me business in my life. I had no feel for business, none, zero. And Geffen went on a 20-year campaign of teaching me about business. You know, and um, so when I saw that he started his record company and sold his record company, I, I said, wow, what if I could have a record company? And then I were able to work with producers and I'll produce them and they'll produce the young artists that I don't really understand, like hip-hop. Yeah. I would have never known how to produce a hip-hop record. Yeah. No chance. But Dr. Dre knew how to produce a hip-hop record. Completely. And I could still be involved somewhat because I was the label and I could help Dre. Yeah. And that's how I look at my life. And it was also a pivot. I don't want to do the same thing for 40 years, I would, I would have killed myself. Yeah. I, I, some people can, I can't. Yeah, it's, it seemed to be as well, the thing that's, that's, that struck me is your ability to, number one, f- f- find talent, but almost as importantly, find talent who can find a, a talent. And that's, that's evident with Dre, with finding Snoop and Eminem and things like that, and, but also with Trent Reznor bringing Marilyn Manson through. Yeah. So it felt like rather than... You weren't just starting a label and signing artists. You were signing 
the heads of families as yeah, such. I'm well, going to sign Dre, if, because if and Dre's going to bring the rest of If you of have the artists like that and you have a relationship with them, what they find is great. They're yeah. looking for great. Yeah. They're not looking for gimmicks. They're not looking to say, gee, you know, what? this would be a hit if we you know, put this pop singer on. They're looking for great. Yeah. And when you have people out there looking for great that are great, sometimes they miss some stuff. But like, you know, Dre, the minute Paul Rosenberg played Dre, Kendrick Lamar, yeah. Ken, Dre was... I'm in. Yeah. You know, now he's got Anderson Pack. Yeah. And the kid, I saw it last night. It's it 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 unbelievable. You know, Dre is far and few in between, but he commits to very little. Yeah. And uh, it's all about being great, man. You want great. You want great stuff. You want, you want to be in the room with great people. And the only way you get in the room with great people is by being of service. Unless you're the singer yourself. I'm not a painter and I'm not a singer. So I've got to help in some other way. And, 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 and how rewarding is it? Are watching when that that works though. One of the, the highlights of the documentary for me was you kind of playing Dre Eminem and then s- s- seeing them gel so amazingly in in their first ever session together. Essentially, yeah, yeah. writing my name is so. How's that f- for you? Because no matter how well you've done, there's going to be that nervous, particularly as someone who who didn't come from hip hop to to go to Dre. Here's this 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 white boy from Detroit. I think you'll like him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, and then it being, all right, there must have been some nerves and trepidation. Well, because I'm willing to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I come at it from a way of like, Dre, look, you know, I, I think this could be clever. You know, it could be interesting. You know what I mean? If you don't like it, throw it in the ocean. I'm not afraid to yeah. fail. I'm not afraid that Dre say, shut up. This is the dumbest thing you've ever thought of. <laughs> I don't care. You know what I mean? I'll try something else the next day. Because I don't let that, pu- I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really don't. And I'll try something and experiment with it. And I've got a feel for people. I just, when I heard what, I knew that Eminem was anarchy and Dre was anarchy. Whether they could work together, I have no idea. But I know they both represent the same thing. Yeah. And I said, they both represent the same thing, then maybe this could work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's finding those things that others might not see right I, I grew up listening to punk and so I loved No Doubt and when you put her with Pharrell on paper I was like I don't know how that works this is No Doubt this is Scar and then Gwen Stefani just did all this amazing her work with Pharrell became and we're, a completely and, 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 and with Dre and Eve yeah yeah, yeah blow completely your mind. blow your mind yeah but see I had an idea for Gwen I knew Gwen I knew the yeah. whole other side to Gwen yeah so when she wanted to do a solo record and she asked me to help her with it I was involved more in A&R on that record than I am in most records at Interscope. Yeah. Uh, and I just said, let's experiment, right? Let's get, first of all, let's get you into urban culture. Let's get you on the dance floor, yeah. right? Let's get, let's do that, right? And we had to find the right way to do it. And, um, you know, Pharrell did a great record with her and so did, uh, so did Dre. Yeah. Um, Akon did a great record with her and, um, we just kept moving it around and, and experimenting, and she was very game and very open about it. And she's a fabulous person, artist. I mean, she's everything. It feels t- t- to me that the, the the Gwen Stefani album really paved the way and opened the doors for everyone to accept the the, the whirlwind of Lady Gaga a, a few years down the yeah. line because it was that combination of craziness of saying, "Look, I don't." care what genre i don't care anything else this is and you know being well, you know, the you know, full package funny about life and this is very helpful to people sometimes when i talk to people and, and some people get it from the movie is that no matter how far along you go no matter how successful you are no matter what you have no matter what credits or bullshit you have you will always do something and somebody will say it can't work when we signed yeah. lady gaga she walked in my office this guy vince brought her in and i don't even know if she played me music she started telling me a story about about dance music and Andy Warhol and the East Village in the 70s. I mean, she was 22 years old. And I said, wow, this girl's really, really interesting. And I signed her. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe she played me a song. <laughs> then my radio team said to me, we can't get four on the floor records on the radio in America. Right. That's for Europe. And that's okay. for, you know, a few dance stations. Yeah. I said, that's ridiculous. I just came back from Europe with Timbaland and I, we were playing, they were playing some four on the floor records and it's pop music. 
it just is. There will be pop music in America. So I pushed my radio people really, really hard. And Gaga, I mean, it's not, there were other four floor records, but she really helped blend those two things together and, yeah. and, and commercializing it. And, and Gwen, what we did at that time was, I, I wasn't really happy with where hip hop was. Right. So I had all these hip hop producers. And by coincidence, I had all these female singers. So we had Fergie, Gwen, the yeah. Pussycat Dolls. We had Nelly, Nelly Furtado. You know, so we had all these great singers and we had all these producers. So I said, why don't we just put them together? Yeah. And we put those producers together, like Timberland with Nelly. That really worked. Pharrell with Gwen. That really worked. And, um, you know, and Fergie and, you know, Will I Am and, 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 and Paul Don, a few other producers. And we really, we really struck oil. It just really, yeah. con- all those records were out at the same time. Yeah. Just, just, just speaking of things being out at the same time time i'm going to rewind a little bit the two of the biggest points of of backlash against music i I guess were the gangster rap explosion and the fear in america of marilyn manson they were both with you and very much in your wheelhouse how was that at the time to be dealing with the 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 protests against marilyn manson the (laughs) anger there then the protests against Gangster well, rap. My, my, I've seen it my whole life. You know, whether it be Elvis Presley or the Beatles or whatever it is. You know, you see people uh, against music. I mean, Barry Gordy. What a great record man he was. Not only was he a great record man, but he had to get his music on the radio where they didn't play black people, let alone black music. Yeah. And I'm like, if that guy could do that, why aren't I? This is all nonsense. Yeah. What, to me, when I hear this stuff about, well, this is affecting this in culture, I just say, you know, this is time to do what Patti Smith said. You know, the power to lead, the power to rule, the power to wrestle the world from fools. Because that, yeah. that's what all this is. And people complaining about lyrics and all this nonsense. I knew it was a poltergeist. I knew that if you walk through it, you come out on the other side and everybody would be fine. People tortured about Tupac. Yeah. And then when he died, they eulogized him. Yeah. Same night. Yeah, yeah. ABC News. They, they, they crushed him six weeks before. The night he died... He's Pope Tupac. Hero, yeah. So I've seen that so many times that I know to ignore what I, I ignore ignore the noise. You yeah. know, just just say you know I'm going forward. I believe in this. The thing with Death Row, you know, it was a very tough situation in a lot of ways, but I wasn't going to back away from that either. I just I refused to. So so how was it after getting through all of that? After again, a lot of labels would have folded or crumbled. Getting through all that and then. Being hit with the 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 uh, the death of the CD and the death of the album and the death of people p- p- paying for music and once again having to adjust and go right. Well, how I, do we again, live in this again world? that's pivoting, and I found that I found I said okay. Um, once I met, once I, I saw uh, Napster and met Sean Fanning, I was like okay, and it's coming again by the way. Yeah, and I said it's um, I said we're toast. I said but what we can do is be of service to our artists, not just take people's rights. Become partners with them and other businesses yeah. so we can take music and expand that, do something great for them, and it's great for us as well. Yeah. So I tried a few things, and then we, I hooked up with Dre, and we decided to do headphones I loved, and speakers. I, I loved his quote of, of fuck sneakers, we're going to make speakers. Well, we need to make because, speakers. Cause... That's because it's always on my mind yeah. doing this combination of things, right? So when he said that, I said, whoa, this is about audio. No one cares what kind of sneakers Dre wears. No yeah. one, not a person on the earth. Yeah. But they will care about audio. And then, you know, from getting the idea to executing it is like, you know, a lot of work and a, and a big headache and a lot of fear and a lot of pressure and a lot of noise, a lot of failure. But, you know, if you can get excited about an idea and you really believe in it, just keep going, keep pushing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap things up now as we're towards... At, at the end of our time, but um, you, you, you said about leading people in different ventures into different areas in business. That's all well and good, but then some people are still who they are. So how was it when you've led Dre and you've got this huge deal that, that no one's allowed to know about, that's this big secret, Beats has sold for $3 billion, right. and you've not told... Oh, you've had close friends and family asking. You've said, I can't say anything yet. Right. And then a, a Facebook 
our video goes up, and Tyrese and Dre have had a few drinks, maybe. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, referring to as the first a billionaire in hip hop, and well, it kind of blew was, the deal. What happened was, I called Dre that morning. I said, Dre, because I know Dre relates to movies. I said, Dre, good fellas. Jimmy, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, character yeah. Jimmy, looks at his guys and say, Don't flash this weekend. We're hot. Don't buy anything. Don't buy a Cadillac. Don't buy Don't furs. Fur coats. So I told him that, and I said, Dre, it leaked last night. We can't be the people verifying this. He says, yeah. I got you. Well, him going to the studio is not a risk to him. So he's not thinking about Facebook and any crap like that. So he's having some fun with his friends. But then all shit hit the fan, you know? And, um, and Will says it in the movie. I just said, you know what? We rode in here together. We're riding out together. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the horse I rode in on. So, you know, we just rode it. And people at Apple were as great as I thought they would be. And they got it. And they supported us. And now it's really successful, so I'm really happy about it. But it, it, I gotta be honest with you, it rocked me. It, it really did. It, it, because I worked, I worked for a very long time on that, and it, yeah. it rocked me. But again, I mean, with hindsight, it turned out to be the best marketing tool ever because that that was then all anyone was talking about and the whispers. If you if you'd simply well, announced it, well, here's it would have been on the business pages. Here's the deal. When you know? you're when you're near Apple. Everything is the most thing talked about. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we took a long, while to get comfortable with that ourselves. Apple is just, everyone wants to write about anything Apple. And they want the word Apple in there so they get clicks and all this nonsense in the headlines. So we had to learn how to be a little more careful. You know, we were a little more sort of free spirit in our old lives. But at Apple, we got to be a little bit more careful. Justifiably so. They have a very big business and they take it very serious. But we want to be able to bring popular culture there and help them out. And they already have it, but things that we can add. And they've been great. They've been fantastic. What a great company. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll end it there. And thank you very much cool, for your time. Man. I look, look forward to seeing what the next pivot is going to be and, and, and what the next move is going to be. Yeah, well. Uh, what do you see as a head f- peace. for yourself? Peace. Just some peace. <laughs> peace. Some peace peace and is some the quiet. holy grail, man. <laughs> That's peace perfect. Is, peace is the holy grail, man. You can work with people. Whatever you can do with peace, as long as it fits in with peace. At my age, 65 years old, that's what I'm looking for. If, if, if somebody can up with an idea and I challenge it and I chase it, I'm going to help Apple with the, with the streaming service, you know, because I, I want to complete that thought. But as far as, you know, myself, it's about peace. Beautiful. Thank you very much for your time. All right, man. Thank you. There we go. How was that for an episode? Hot damn. Um, yeah, hugely grateful for, for, for getting the time with these guys. Um, really good chat. I really enjoyed it. I felt, um, yeah, excited to talk to both of them. And again, I know I'm plugging it like crazy, but I'm allowed to. It's my podcast and I rated it. I recommend Defiant Ones on Netflix. It's available now and it's fantastic. It's a little, it's not, what was it Alan Hughes was saying? It's not a series. It's not episodes, it's parts. But yeah, it's fantastic and it will blow you away. Seeing a lot of these moments Jimmy and with Springsteen and things like that, or even Dre, some, some some footage and stories of some of Dre's first ever DJ sets and how he was doing stuff that no other DJ had done before and the reactions, all the way up to J- Jimmy getting a tape out by a guy called Slim Sh- 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 Shady and playing it to Dre and Dre and M meeting. And yeah, it's real good, man. You're going to like it. Um, that's all I've got for you this week i'll be back next week i'm looking at my phone now to see who i've got on next week i have got a lot of podcasts recorded and they're some of the best podcasts i've ever done i rate this one up there with one of the best oh next week is literally as good as any i've ever done um i've got a a young lady on called alexis okowo and she's a journalist who wrote an amazing book um called a moonless starless sky and it's about regular people in Africa um, fighting extremism and their stories that aren't told. 
and it blew me away. Honestly, that sounds sounds heavy, but it's a really in- engaging conversation. The thing that blew me away was hearing that it's fighting Muslim extremism and Christian extremism. We kind of in the UK only seem to hear about you know Islamic extremism, but there's extremism of numerous religions going on now all around the world. Again, when we talk of when people argue against Islam being dangerous and argue well Christianity, we generally refer to the Crusades and stuff like that. But it was amazing to read about the stuff that's going on right now in the name of Christianity. It's an amazing conversation. Uh, she's put herself at a lot, a lot of risk. It was a, a similar feeling to when I got to sit down with Suad McKennett uh, last year. Just a real honour to sit down with someone who's in the name of journalism, in the name of telling stories, of giving voices to the voiceless, puts themselves at huge risk um, in dangerous situations with dangerous people. And then the th- the thing I loved about the way Alexis writes is the warmth and it becomes these really personal and relatable stories. They're so insane situations, yet somehow they feel so relatable. So... Yeah, honestly, you're going to really enjoy next week's. I'm really excited about it. So, And then after that, I've got Charlotte Hatherley. Um, that's recorded. Which ones have I got recorded? I don't mention the ones I haven't got recorded, but I've got some good ones lined up as well. I've got Cedric Bixler-Zavala about the driving. That's going to be in about three weeks. I've got Jamali Maddox. That's going to be in about four weeks. He's got a great documentary series on Vice at the moment called Hate Thy Neighbour that you can watch online for free. Just loads of good stuff to come. I'm packing them in and packing them out. Thank you for tuning in. We're on social media as the Distraction Pieces Network. So come find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, Appreciate your support if you do that. And share, spread the word. You see, these rambling, unplanned, and and nonsensical outros are why I'll never get to sell the Distraction Pieces Network for 3.2 billion. Although, hit me up, Jimmy, if you want to uh, do some business. See you all next week. Ta-ta.